Morning, Tabernacle. Morning. You know it's morning, right? It's morning. Uh, I woke up late today, uh, and that's not good always. Um, the older I get, the longer it takes to move. Anybody else getting older a little bit? Uh, the, and it's not just the physical aspect. It's actually uh, my brain is really slow in the morning. So if I stumble, uh, you guys, I think you're filled with grace today, correct? Awesome. That's a good thing. Uh, it's Sunday. Sunday's a good day. Uh, Sunday is a traditional day uh, that churches around the world, um, generally, at least from the American perspective, uh, meet on Sunday. Do you guys know that? Most of us meet on Sunday. And it's a good day because we gather together and we have a similar motive in mind when we gather together. Now, it's not always pure and wonderful and perfect, but overall, the motive is to come and we're going to worship, we're going to praise, we're going to give, uh, and and we're going to learn about Jesus. And that's the traditional thing. Now, Sunday, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here, it's not a magical day. It's not. Because we could do the same thing on Tuesday. In fact, we did the same thing last night. And it's whenever uh, a group of people choosing to try to follow Jesus to the best of their ability, gather, and it doesn't matter whether it's eight people or 8,000 people, it doesn't matter, and it could be on any day, their motive is the same. It's to worship, and it's to praise, and it's to give, and it's to learn about Jesus. Uh, And sometimes what we do as uh, humans is we start to kind of idolize and make something holy about the day, right? Or the place. And that actually is going to play into what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians today. The Corinthians were new baby Christians, uh, and, and some of it had been, been at it for a little while. And this letter to them gives them some very simple, concrete direction on how to have church, right? And when we have church, I I wish it was more celebratory when we said, hey, let's have church. I wish that was like the verb that we were using rather than the place that we meet, right? So he writes to these Corinthians. uh, And and years ago, John and I did a series many years ago on on this, and we called it uh, a name that I can't do anymore because it's a movie. Uh, And it was beautiful and wonderful and applicable to us. Um, We were called barbarians in this uh, title, and that's what we are in northern Michigan is we're barbarians. And and I'm going to tell you that, you know, we're barbarians from little on up uh, as we grow. And I hope we never really lose that title up here because there's a a sense of freedom and autonomy, but there's also a sense of... uh, the freedom in being creative in how God made us. So that's a beautiful compliment for each and every one of us. So these barbarians that live up in the boondocks in the middle of nowhere, Paul wrote this letter to us. And last week, John talked about uh, this picture that it's really interesting how many people end up getting offended by this, but uh, he calls some of us are milk drinkers and some of us are meat eaters, meaning some of us are kind of like babies and some of us are kind of like grown-ups. 
Now, grown-ups, for those of us who are still more towards the infant stage, right, those of us that are young, they're just older, wrinklier babies with a lot of experience is what they are. Um, they don't have it all together. They're not holy and perfect. Uh, they, they have parts of their life that they'll share with us that uh, were wonderful and amazing and parts just like you that they regretted. They're all lost and fallen and seeking Jesus. Now, some of us that begin to get a little older learn how to act mature. So this, this thing of being called an infant, it, it shouldn't be taken as, as a slam. It shouldn't be taken as derogatory. It should be taken as, hey, you're new to this. You're new to this, so, so just relax. Maybe it's time since you've been new to this for five years. See, that was a little passive aggressive. I'm, I'm just letting you know my brain's just catching up, okay? Uh, you, you know, we've been around for a minute. Maybe it's time to consider that next step. Maybe it's that time. So this week, uh, on Friday, it happens most Fridays, uh, we get the privilege of having our grandson, Leo, uh, come and spend the day with us. So he comes, and it's a wonderful thing. And he's four. He's four years old. And he's uh, amazingly handsome, um, much like his dad, uh, vitally gifted. No, he's just a four-year-old. He's, he's wonderful, and he's special to me, but he's just another four-year-old to you. But that's okay. He taught me a lesson this week. And so grandma takes him to the fair in the morning, and they go to the fair. And uh, they have a wonderful time, and, and we're trying to teach him some lessons. Like, you go to the fair, you can't have everything, right? Because when you're four, you want everything, whether it's good for you or not. And so grandma did a great job on that. Uh, they come home. He's wonderful. It's amazing. We're just having this great time. And he doesn't want to take a nap, but he takes a nap because, he, you know, he's four. And evidence that he needed a nap is we had to wake him up after two hours, right? And so, so all those candy and uh, rides and people and stuff really, really wore him out. And he's, he's been wonderful, and he gets this treat of playing a video game. And, and we have a thing called a Switch, and you guys, most of you look a little older, might not know what that is, but it's a video game. And there's a car thing, and he plays this little racing, and he does great, and then he's done. And we begin, you know, to have the evening, and his dad gets there. We're having dinner. Uh, I go outside, and I'm sitting there with my iPad watching YouTube. It's a very, very intellectual moment <laughs> as I'm watching YouTube. And he comes out, and I know that he has had his limit of video, right? So he comes out, and we often do this thing where we'll find a race, a car race. It doesn't matter whether it's... Uh, uh, NASCAR or, or some other type of car racing, and we just enjoy watching those, in particular the crashes, right? Because that's what four-year-olds and 62-year-olds really like. <laughs> and he comes out, and he's got these dark eyes, and he looks up at me, and he's like, Grandpa, what you doing? It's like, I'm watching YouTube. And he goes, let's watch the races. And I said, uh, no, not right now. And I close my iPad. And he's like, Why? right? Why? It's like, well, I think you've had enough video for the day. And he goes, okay, why? <laughs> like, he knows. He knows. And it's like, I said, because I don't want to. And that's, like, shocking to him. Like, you're not going to give me what I want? And then the little four-year-old, now, remember, this is about maturity. He looks up at me, and in his perfectly innocent way says, you're supposed to share, Grandpa. <laughs> To which, you know, those of us that are 
softies, I'm not, you know, would cave. I, I, I didn't. I laughed. And, and we, because the four-year-old began to exhibit something that was amazing to me at four years old. He began to manipulate words, meanings of what's happening in the world. Um, and it wasn't vicious or evil. It's just a tactic that he was using at that moment that he's wondering, is this going to work? Uh, and it's actually really brilliant, isn't that? I mean, because he calls out my morality at four years old. So I'm not going to tell you what I did. <laughs> but I did recognize the, the fact of, of how we as humans go from infants and then, and then we're toddlers and then, you know, the, the next stages of life as we go through where we're children. Um, and, and I think, you know, age doesn't matter anymore when we come to the spiritual realm. And some of us can be 70 and be spiritual infant, infants. And, you know, uh, some of us are my age, 62, and can sometimes pretend like I have the spiritual maturity of a 100-year-old, but, but I don't. You know, in some areas I have spiritual maturity of a 62-year-old. In some areas I have spiritual maturity of a 12-year-old. I, I don't have it all together. Nobody on staff has it all together. And we've made this incredibly complicated, hard-to-understand picture of what spiritual maturity is. So in order to clear it up, I think we need to go back a little bit and go, okay, what's the foundation of spiritual maturity? Why, why is it important? Why do we even have spiritual maturity? Why is that an issue? Um, you know, we could give a million metaphors, but uh, they just convolute a little bit. So Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, um, he uses a metaphor. And I think it's really simple and incredibly complicated at the same time. And he's talking to a church that has uh, been dividing itself and having infighting and, and weirdness going on within this church. And as that's happening, they're becoming less effective in spreading the message of love and of grace. Uh, and, and so he's calling them out. And of course, there's going to be arguments that come back. And regardless of the metaphor that we use in here, some of us are going to find some little nugget to take offense. I mean, that's what I do. If I'm listening and, you know, there's a preacher, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name is John, and he'll be going and all of a sudden he'll say something, it's just like a dart right to the heart, right? And it's, you know, I'll just look at, go, yeah, but I'm taller than you. <laughs> you know, it's got nothing to do with the argument. Um, because it's a little bit of conviction. So this isn't meant to be derogatory in any way, sense, or form. It's meant, uh, just like in, in some form of counseling, it's meant how do we actually look at the truth of who we are without being afraid? Because when we're afraid, we're defensive. And we have been gifted beyond belief with defensive mechanisms to keep that truth away. So at church on Sunday or Monday or Saturday or whatever day when we gather, one of the purposes is that we're alike, that we're unified. And we don't get to put on masks and we don't get to be uh, 
pretending like, like we've got it all together and we're super wise in all areas. Um, we get to come and be authentic for a minute with people who won't judge us when we're authentic. That sounds like the place I want to be. And if we had those church services all the time, I'd probably go five days a week. Well, maybe four. I don't know. There might be some mowing I need to do in between, right? But I'm going to want to be there rather than need to be there or have to be there. So with that in mind, let's uh, go to Scripture. This is what Paul writes for us in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 23. He says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire." And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's pause right there for a second at verse 15. So... Paul lays the foundation. He says, I've laid the foundation. And some of us like to be defensive about that. Well, what's so special about you, Paul? Why do you get to lay the foundation? Well, he had a transformative experience in life that was very profound. He was extremely educated, but it's by God's grace. That means God revealed to him the foundation, and he builds the foundation of the church. Now, we have to go quickly. The church, what is the church? It's made up of individuals, so each individual needs to have the same foundation. Uh, And it isn't Paul's foundation. It isn't Apollo's foundation. It isn't Peter's foundation. It's the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what the foundation of the church is. That's what the foundation of each individual church member is. If it's off that foundation, it gets hard. So he's saying on this foundation, he's not taking credit for creating the foundation of Jesus. He's saying, I was wise enough through the grace of God to choose the foundation of Jesus Christ for the church. Amen? So, so that's, that's what he's saying there. And then he goes on a little further, and he says, you know, we're going to be building on top of that foundation. We're going to be building more. And so he's using this metaphor of building And we get confused about the building, but he makes it even a little more confusing. He says, some of you are going to use really cool material. You're going to be using stones and and precious gems and rich, heavy things that will will last. And some of you are going to use wood and, and straw. And there's going to come a time where it's going to be tested. So now he's talking about not only the church as a whole, but he's talking about us as individuals. So our building of our own spiritual building of ourselves with this earth suit that I'm wearing. I'm going to be building it, and sometimes I'm going to be more foolish and build with straw, and sometimes I'm going to be wise and have granite, and it will go through a fire. And at the end, what's real 
what's true, what's of God will survive. It'll pass through the fire. And the rest of it will burn up. So there's a billion examples, and there's about 12 sermons just in that little bit that we're not going to go into. But it, it basically means the fruit of your life, once Jesus is your foundation, we should be careful what we choose to build with. We should be thoughtful about that. The only way we can do that is if we're honest. The only way we can do that is if we look at truth. That's, in my mind, and, and the changes that happened in my life through this bit called counseling was, was being confronted and not being smashed by the reality of who I am. And it's frightening, it's scary, but I survived. And I mean, look at me. I mean, not Charles Atlas, right? It wasn't BK. That was not that funny. <laughs> it had nothing to do with my strength or my body. It had to do with the care and the love and the grace of God that I was able to do that, right? And I still struggle with the exact same issue. I haven't arrived. I haven't figured out this always be truthful with myself. I'm a... I'm a twister of facts and words sometimes, just like my grandson. I could twist and go, you're supposed to share. Yeah. Hey, you're right, you little manipulator, evil kid. Because now I need to argue on a four-year-old level, really. And you went all theological on me. It's hard, but, it, but it's necessary. And it, isn't, it is for our benefit, I'm going to tell you that, but it's not. It's for the glory of Christ is what it really is. And it's to be attractional to others, to have some light come out of us that others can come and that we, without judgment or pushing or pulling someone in, we just allow them. And then we can become what's known as a true friend to another person and give something. That's the purpose of it. But let's continue here in verse 16, because that part wasn't really that confusing, but this part has been for some of us. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, I wish Paul used a few more periods and a couple more chapters to describe that. But there's this really interesting concept, and, and in, in churches, I've, I've watched this become completely bastardized and completely ruined, and it, it's just taken this beautiful part of Scripture, and, and it turned it into legalism. 
and it's, it's not of God. And it's just that, do you not know that your body is the temple, right? So the temple is where God resides, and it's holy. So your body, if anybody does anything bad to the body, then God's going to kill them, is, is kind of what it says. That's hard to wrap our brains around. So we, with small brains, have taken that to mean your body, there's something really, 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 really special with your body. If you don't wear skirts long enough or ties tight enough to cover your body, if you don't have all of this garment and raiment, if you don't have certain types of jewelry to adorn your body with, or if you smoke, God's going to kill you. Or if you drink, God's going to kill you. Or if you get tattoos, God's going to kill you. Don't you know that's the temple of God? How dare you? Well, that's not true. That's not what it says at all. I mean, it tells us that our bodies are going to turn to dust. So tattooed or not, still going to be dust, right? So if, if it isn't talking about that, that means that we get to look at our bodies as our earth suit, because who we are and where we struggle and why we have so much defensiveness up is there's something inside of us called a soul. And the soul inside of us is the one that's really crying out for truth. Can't you see me? Don't you know that, that, that I need encouragement, that I need to be loved? Don't you know that? Don't you know that I, I struggle in some areas? Because that's the real me. And then I find Jesus, and it's like, yeah, I still have all of those exact same feelings, but he's giving me purpose and meaning, and he's showing me a level of success, and he's giving me what I need, unconditional love. And so the soul inside of me is what he's talking about. He's not talking about our external bodies. That's why I said it's Sunday, right? It's a good day. We get together. But it could be Monday or Tuesday it isn't the day, it's the motive. It isn't what your body looks like. It isn't how pretty or perfect or well-dressed or tatted or untatted or hair, no hair. None of that matters. It's what's inside that matters. That's the temple. In the Old Testament, God resided amongst the Israelites in a tent. That was holy ground. Incredibly holy. I mean, the rules in, in the Old Testament were unbelievably phenomenal. And there was only one way to kind of approach God, and you couldn't, but that temple was holy. It was holy ground. It was just a tent. His presence made it holy. And then later in Jerusalem, they built a temple you know, the big temple. Okay, let's get rid of it. They built a church, this huge church, right? And that was holy, and it had the same type of elements that the tent had, only now it was gloriously built. And people started worshiping the temple rather than what's inside. And then we go to the New Testament, and something happens, something fantastic happens. And the temple, it, it can still be important. We can still show reverence and awe, and we can still build beautiful cathedrals. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as we're not worshiping the architect or the builders or the building. It can be a stunning piece of architecture, but it's nothing if God doesn't reside there. And God resides when his children come together. 
with the same motive. So I hope that makes that simple. Man, you all look really confused, are you? In my mind, it's simple. So the spirit translates. So the body is just our earth suit, and it's going to turn to dust someday. Um, so, so it's temporary, but there's something holy in us that lives on, and that's the spirit of God. So in Acts, we have the Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit appears, the promise from Jesus. And this Holy Spirit is going to come, and it's going to reside in Christians. So we have a soul. Every human has a soul. Um, but not every human has the Spirit of Christ living in them. And it's almost like an invasion. And, and it's one of the things we as Americans resist because we have all of these things, these rights that are ours. You know, And we, I, I could do a five-minute bunny trail just on you know, the last year, all of the rights that people are demanding in this world. And, you know, that's easy to pick out, but there's rights I have, you know, that I don't speak out loud that sometimes feel threatened by the Holy Spirit coming in. Because it's like I'll lose myself. And I'll become the guy who's always got his hands up, which is great. Some of you do that. I don't. I'm too Dutch. That would go against my entire being. I did raise a hand like this once. <laughs> this spirit that comes in and dwells in us, it's like living for the first time. It isn't painful, and it does not erase us. It embraces us. It doesn't shame us and tell us, here's all of the areas of your life that you're bad in. It says, here's the areas of life that you might have been misdirecting some. I built you this way on purpose, and I've got a plan, and the plan is to glorify Jesus. It's to bring more people to Jesus. That's the ultimate plan. There's all of our physical needs and, and our wants and our desires, and, and those get to play into this picture. And, and, and we as flawed sinners, we mess that part up. But, but overall, if we can keep that basic message, if we can get really honest, there's nothing more warm, filled with light, like that cold day with a, a ridiculously soft blanket around you feeling in the Holy Spirit inside. That's what it is. He is always with us. And then he goes on to talk about, uh, you know, worldly wisdom. And, and that, that's another sermon. He's just saying, don't think you're so smart. Okay? Can you humble yourself a notch? And start to learn from the Spirit what true wisdom is. What true wisdom is. If, if you can go ahead, we still have free will. We can make choices to go any direction that we desire. And hopefully nobody here is ever going to shame somebody because they chose to go a different direction. Because we might get to run into them again. And, and, and that's okay. They're human and they're flawed. Just like us. So don't judge, okay? That's heavy on my heart at the moment because judgment always chases away but he's saying the wisdom of this world it isn't, it isn't Paul or Apollos the great teachers or Peter it, it isn't them you don't get to claim oh I'm, I'm their friend you know it's, it's kind of like coming and you were expecting like John today and it's me and some of us can be disappointed or vice versa you know those, those things can happen and it's like no that's not 
that's from the pit of hell. There's an anointed messenger for the day, and God gets to choose who that is. And he does it regardless of who I am. The guy with the microphone today, okay, he does that. So, so don't, don't go there. Keep it at the foundation. What is the foundation? The foundation is Jesus Christ. And we can never forget that. We can never forget that. So he ends it in verse 23. Just before that, he says, all is yours. And remember, the verses are just kind of added in there. It wasn't meant to be that way. He says, all are yours. All of this stuff is yours. But you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And that's really the crux to this message. So, 1 Corinthians gives us three things. It gives us a billion things. Three things we're going to talk about. And I was going to go with no points today, and then the ending song that we're going to sing came across, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to have points. So, the first one is, is that we were brought out of darkness. So there was a time, I don't care if you grew up in a Christian church and, you know, were the holiest of holy families and dressed all cute and did everything. That's wonderful. Uh, bless you for that. But there's a point where as a reasonable adult, we make a decision to follow Christ. And the Spirit actually enables us to do that, so we don't even get to boast in that. But, but we make this decision. We still have the ability to say no, but instead, for some reason, we say Yes. And when that light comes in, we begin to understand that we've been living in the darkness. We've been living in the darkness. We've been living in the world. I mean, if you just go home and read the top 15 headlines from the USA News for today, you'll see the darkness. I promise you. It's everywhere. And it seems overwhelming. But we know what light does to darkness. It erases it. Light flee, or darkness flees from light. So we lived in darkness, whatever that meant for you, until Christ becomes significant and becomes our foundation. We might not know he's the foundation, but we're willing to give it a shot. And so here's this Jesus, and he pulls me out of the darkness. And sometimes it's hard to go back and go, yeah, I actually was in the darkness. For some of us like me, it's very shameful in the past um, but God redeems that. And for some of us, it's like, well, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. It was dark. It was still dark before Jesus. I don't know if you believe that or not, but it really has simplified it for me, and I believe that wholeheartedly. The second thing is, is that there was a price that was paid as the foundation, and the price is blood, and it's the blood of Christ. That's the price that was paid, and there is no price greater than the blood of the Son of God. That's the most expensive debt that's ever been paid. And it wasn't on installments, and there wasn't any interest. It was paid in full once, and it was done, and it was erased. And it was done corporately for all of us, but more importantly, we always have to go back to the individual. It was done for you. So the most expensive price ever paid for anything in the universe was paid for you. 
Now, that's not meant to make us feel guilty. It's meant for you to understand you're an adopted heir with Christ. You're God's child. What father or grandfather wouldn't pay all for his kid or his grandkid? Well, our Father in heaven is more generous and knows love in a way we can't quite understand. But that doesn't mean we don't receive the blessing of the highest price ever paid. So he called us out of the darkness. And then we find out that regardless of how stubborn and much I argue and how great of a theologian I think that I am, I can't argue past that fact. And I just need to accept it. Accept this gift. So it brings me to the last point. That I belong to him. I belong to him. I'm no longer my own. And man, does that go against northern Michigan Americans. I mean, that is so hard for us to try to choose to pick that up. It's spectacular how much pride we have in something that doesn't deserve that much pride. It just doesn't. Yeah, okay, so you're stubborn. Yay. (laughs) Do you want a medal? Is that what we're looking for? Suddenly, I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to him, and that's very, very frightening. But again, we've got to get to the bottom question. We can't talk corporately now. We have to talk individually. Because when individually we do this and we can answer the questions, then we can come together with uh, authenticity and integrity and transparency. But if we don't ask these questions of ourselves, we'll never get there. We just won't. So do I belong to him? Okay, let's, do you belong to him? And the Sunday school answer is yes, right? The Christianese answer from the Christian ghetto is yes, I belong to him. Then I would ask the next part, tell me what parts do. And after we step, then we step, tell me what parts don't. Because I like to hold back. Now, I'm just a four-year-old before God. And he knows. He knows when I'm saying you're supposed to share what my real intent and motive is. And it's cute and it's wonderful. And he smiles. Is it okay to ask that question? I mean, is it okay to say, uh, I belong to him? Now, I don't think anybody does this perfect ever. We never arrive I think it's a process, just like spiritual maturity is a process. My spiritual maturity goes like this, okay? I'm just being real with you. I'm a pastor. Some of you think it should be here. It's not. I'm not holy. I'm a wicked sinner saved by grace. I'm a flawed human being that makes mistakes every day. That's just the way it is. If you were looking for holy, that isn't it. The spirit in me is holy, and it shines once in a while. That's all. Right? And if I say, I belong to him, I being me, the person inside of me, my, my soul and the spirit within me, does that all belong? Do I, do I lay that on the foundation of Jesus Christ? And I'm going to tell you, my days go like this. 
That doesn't mean I don't work to get better, but I've got to identify the highs. This is where it is. Yeah, I think I'm succeeding there pretty well. Tell me if I'm not. And there are other areas. It's like, man, I'm, I'm, I just feel like an infant right here in this area of my life. And fellow Christians will not condemn. They will pray. And they will talk. And some of them will go, me too. Let's figure this out, right? That's what it's all about. It's progress, not perfection. And this is such a beautiful opportunity for us to study our own soul. Because there's no one else other than Christ that can study your soul but you. And I'm giving you an invitation to take the risk. It could be a lifelong endeavor. It could be a simple half hour in the afternoon of really thinking about it for the first time or the second time or the thousandth time. And there's not a right or a wrong answer. But you really can't lie to your soul. So... Matt and Victoria are going to come out and lead us in a closing worship song and I'm going to ask you to pay particular attention to the lyrics um, and, and let this be the opening of the question for yourself. Do I belong to him? He called me out of the darkness. He paid the price with his blood. He's asking me to be his and is my pride so huge that I can't quite let go? Or can I let go? This I know that Christ loves you and that I love you. And that if any offense were taken, I, I ask that it just flee from your heart and listen to the words of Jesus rather than the words of me. God bless you.